Hello, and welcome to the Apostolic Church Liverpool podcast. We hope the message you're about to listen to will inspire you, will be a blessing to you, and give you perspective in life. For more of such messages, you can visit our website at www.tac-lona.org.uk. You can also access other messages and resources from our YouTube channel, The Apostolic Church Europe. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. God bless you. Here's the message. Today we are moving on to the concluding part of Paul's defense. And after this session, the next part is just going to be the last part of chapter 12 together with the conclusion, which pastor will be teaching or taking us in by God's grace. So we want to finish up this um, series of defense that Paul is giving. Again, I've put up that chart on the screen to kind of help us track our progress. We have dealt with the first part thoroughly, where Paul explained his ministry, trying to get these Corinthians to see, this is the reasoning behind everything I do. This is where I'm coming from. This is what God has said to me. This is the mandate I'm working with and things like that. And then he moves on to talk about the offering that they've been collecting for over one year without really um, doing anything about it as such. And so challenging them in two chapters um, in that section that we concluded on. And then we moved on to this last part where he's going to now enforce his authority, especially in light of the fact that there are new, not new, but like Judaizers that have snuck into the church and found themselves in leadership and parading themselves and speaking of themselves in high, high esteem, so to speak. Um, and of course, talking down any everything about Paul and what Paul has done in the midst of the Corinthians. And so Paul needs to come into the picture yet again to, um, to fight back, if you will, to what is at stake here is not about Paul's reputation. What is at stake for him is the souls of all these people that by God's grace he has labored extensively over. And so he spoke almost like a warrior attacking the opposition in the first part of chapter 10. He spoke like a father, and we looked at that um, last couple of weeks in chapter 11. Um, and towards the end of that, he began to also speak as what he called a fool, but not a fool in the sense of someone that is foolish. Um, but because of what he was doing and how he was going to go about doing it, and we've spoken about that because he was he had to boast or counter boast to to bring these people to this boasting arena. That's what they have always done. But now he wants to show them how to boast in a manner of speaking. Um, and he's boasting in the Lord, he's boasting in his weaknesses, he's boasting in his sufferings. Um, and even in doing that, he still had that cautious way of saying, I know that even to boast at all, to begin to talk about boasting, is, there's, there's a lot of foolishness that is attached in the sense of speaking to that. And lastly, he would speak as an apostle, and that would be towards the conclusion, concluding part, which we'll take after now. Um, in today's chapter, he continues that foolishness mode. Foolishness, again, in quotes. Paul is not foolish, um, but he said this, he himself said he's speaking like a fool um, because he's coming down to the level of those, as it were, fools um, that call themselves super apostles to meet them on their turf and let them see, realize how foolish they had been. 
and hopefully to win the hearts of the Corinthians back, to snap them back to reality, to speak some sense, if I could use that language, um, into them. And hopefully the truth will once again liberate them and set, and set them free. And so um, what we see in today's section is, is going to share an experience. Um, Pastor had kind of given out a bit of what I was going to do at the very first part, but I will still follow on and follow through as though Pastor did not say that, just in case you were not listening. <laughs> uh, but the outline we're looking at today is in three parts majorly, and it's just the first 10 verses of chapter 12. How God honored Paul, how God humbled Paul, how God helped Paul. But all of that is still following on with this. Remember where we stopped last week? That chain of things that he suffered, that he had to talk about when he, when he was shipwrecked, this many times that he was beaten, 40 lashes like minus one. And, you know, just so very many things that he had to go through that he entered on um, in, that, in that part. So we want to look at more and more of his experiences, some of the things that he had gone through, but especially one major or a couple major experiences that is going to share within these 10 verses. And we've categorized those into those three outlines, how God honored him, how God humbled him, and how God helped him. I start with the first six verses um, from the Passion Translation. And by the way, I don't know, I mean, this is Bible study, so I think it's worth mentioning. Um, there's all sorts of things going on on social media and things like that. And one of those that happened at the beginning of this year, for those of you that might use BibleGateway.com, which is one of the sites I readily use, I know Pastor uses it as well. You might have noticed that the Passion Translation is no longer on that, on that site. Yeah, yeah, I noticed. Yeah, uh, it, it has been taken off. And the, the reason wasn't given. But uh, of course, part of the speculation is that maybe um, the translation is not um, a translation, but a paraphrase, which is not a problem because there are many other paraphrases on, on, the, on the Bible Gateway website. The Living Bible is a paraphrase, the message is a paraphrase, and things like that. But I just thought to mention that to say that um, one of the basic things about whatever Bible version you are using, and this is not to say the Passion Translation is good or bad, or any other translation is good or bad. If anything, there is no perfect translation. That's a given. Uh, all of us are trying as much, all of them have not translated anybody, are trying as much as God is helping them to articulate in English what they are seeing in the Greek and in the Hebrew text, but they are doing it as with different um, motives or syllabus, if you will, in mind, different targets, different goals. And the way for you to know the goal of whatever translation you are engaging with is to read the preface. In the preface, wherever the translators are, they will spell out what they are trying to do. It will help you in knowing what you are engaging with as you are reading whatever translation that you are reading. And that's one thing that I know that in reading the preface to the Passion Translation, it has been made clear. There are lots of amplifications that are not necessarily in the original text. And if you are using the art copy version, there are footnotes that explains the reasoning behind all of those amplifications and things like that. What the, the lead translator is trying to do is just to get the passion out, get, get you to read what the original text is saying in English, but feel the passion. And of course, to do that, you have to do a lot of rewritings and matching scriptures and adding words and things like that. So that's what led to that issue. But the Bible Gateway themselves were not explicit as to why there might be other reasons why they took it up. I just thought to mention to quickly mention that. 
Okay, so I'll read the first six verses in the Passion Translation, then I'll switch on to NIV or something for the remaining parts. It says, someone I'm acquainted with. Now, Paul is going to use the case of somebody to further buttress this um, foolish boasting that he's doing. Again, foolish in quotes. Someone I'm acquainted with who is in union with Christ was swept away 14 years ago in an ecstatic experience. Pastor used the word sensational experience. He was taken into the third heaven, but I'm not sure if he was in his body or out of his body. Only God knows. And I know that this man, again, I'm not sure if he was still in his body or taken out of his body. God knows. He was caught up in an ecstatic experience and brought into paradise where he overheard many wondrous and inexpressible secrets that were so sacred that no mortal, no human being is permitted to repeat them. That's five. I'm ready to boast of such an experience, but for my own good, I refuse to boast unless it concerns my weaknesses. However, if I were to boast, it wouldn't be ridiculous at all, for I would be speaking the truth, yet I will refrain, lest others think higher of me than what I demonstrate with my life and with my teaching. I mean, you can't, you can't read that and not get the gist of what Paul is saying. That's ever so clear. But I'm going to start with what might seem like an obvious question. Who was the man that Paul was talking about in this passage? And I'm actually expecting the response. And whatever response you are given, be ready to then answer the next question, which will be, why do you think that's the person that Paul is talking about? Um, who was the man that Paul was talking about who had this sensational, ecstatic um, experience of being swept up, or caught up to the third heavens and experienced all those things that he described? Any, any thoughts on that? Of course, it was Paul. It was, it was Paul okay, the Apostle. So, so why, why do you think it was Paul from what we read or otherwise uh, don't don't forget that he, he had, he's been talking about you know boasting in whatever um just I to be able I to can you be quiet um he's been talking about you know doing this in the lord and stuff like that and boasting so i feel that it was actually paul talking about himself but again because he doesn't want to boast um in the wrong way he had to put it um how do i put it he had to say it like that so that it won't be as if or maybe it won't go overboard or something like that you know but i feel he's the one that he's talking about he's talking about right. himself I think so. thank you very much thanks for that any other thoughts or addition or subtraction from that i think someone else was about to say something before sister no go on in, in, in the after after he had said those things, the next mm -hmm. um, verse six, he started using um, first person. He started saying I, and that is indicative of the fact that he's the same person he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So after he had said he was caught up, the next verse five now said, of such of such an one will mm -hmm. I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Mm. So that's an indication for me to know that he's, still, he's talking about himself. Thank you very much. I think both of you have done justice beautifully to that. Um, Pastor also already mentioned it at the beginning. That's why I said Pastor has let the cat out of the bag a little bit about what I was going to do. And I've not even yet shared the slide. So that's beautiful. Um, that's, that's a common um, 
way actually of it's a it's a common literary function that some rabbis would use and, and and i think some of us actually even do it like if you if you're talking to someone and you don't want them to know i mean i've spoken to many young young people in in a con counseling context and you hear some people say something like um I, I want to ask a question about my friend and my friend did this and and did that and did that what would you say to that kind of a friend and when you start asking them, I, I, I don't know until I can know what and what and what um, your friend was thinking about, what led to this. And they will give that information. When you start saying that, those are signs that actually the person is talking about himself. Because if, if you are talking about your friend, you can't know everything about your friend. Um, and we, we tend to do that. I've done that myself um, before. And someone has caught me in the act to say, I think the person you're asking about. <laughs> Is yourself. So yes, it's it's a common um, style of writing amongst amongst um, Jewish rabbis in those days. If you don't want to speak directly about yourself, but Paul was employing that style not just because he wants to flaunt his literary prowess, but exactly because he's so reticent about speaking about this thing. Like, do I even really have to go there? But okay, if you need to hear it. Let me, let me give you a tip of the iceberg. But even in doing that, it won't be about me. It's going to be about him, um, and which is exactly what he did, he did in that passage. You may recall how the Judaizers were always anxious to receive honors. In fact, they've, to use Paul's words, brainwashed this Corinthian congregation to the point where they adore them, literally, to the, to the detriment of the reputation of Paul and all that by God's grace he has accomplished amongst them. And of course, they boasted in chapter three about their letters of commendation. And Paul would come back to say, I don't need a letter of commendation. You yourselves, the Corinthian church, you are my letter of recommendation. By God's grace, what God has accomplished in your life through the, the, the fact that we surrendered ourselves to be used of him is a commendation to what God is doing in his ministry. Um, so he was never intent on looking for honor or commendation from men. As far as Paul is concerned, he's serving an audience of one, God. It's what God thinks per time that matters. And that should be our, our disposition to life. That's actually what really counts. But what he's talking about here in a broader sense is having boasted about those sufferings that we listed, some of which we listed last week, you know, being in prison many times, going without food many times, um, having to be let down by a basket over the fence of a, of, a, of a world city at some point. I mean, all sorts of really risky, crazy stuff, having to fight wild animals. In, in all of that, he then said, let me add one more thing. When it comes to receiving revelations, oh my goodness, I've seen things, um, and I, I would I would share one of them with you. Uh, and of course, this is not just we see this throughout everything that we see in the scripture about Paul. He himself saw the revelation of the risen Christ on his way to Damascus. That's Acts nine, and even in that period, by seeing Christ, the Bible says he was made blind for three days. But even while he was blind. He saw a revelation of the person that will come and pray for him and will make him to receive his sight and baptize him with the, with the, with the gift of the Spirit. That was Ananias. He saw that revelation in Acts 9. In Acts 22, he talked about the vision that God gave him when he called him to minister to the Gentiles. 
In Acts 16, we remember that dream that he had where he saw a man saying, come to Macedonia and help us. Just after he had made attempts to go and preach in this city and that city, and the Holy Spirit kept saying no and kept saying no. And eventually he had a revelation that directed them to where to Macedonia, where they planted the church that became the, Philipp the church in Philippi, to which he would write the letter to the Philippians, Acts 16. Um, in Acts 18, he was encouraged in a vision. Um, that was after he was arrested in Jerusalem. Um, in Acts 27, he saw an angel. He was in a ship that was going to be shipwrecked, but he saw an angel that told him, don't worry, no life will be lost. The ship will be destroyed, but no life will be lost. And everything was as, as it was told. And he had lots of spiritual revelations of divine truths. Um, in the New Testament, there are about seven mysteries, as it were, that the Bible speaks about. More than half of those would come from Pauline epistles, epistles that Paul wrote. He caught an understanding into the mystery of the body of Christ, into the mystery of the Jews and Gentiles becoming one in, in Christ, and very many other things that we take for granted as just normal theology today, or Westerners would call systematic theology. Many of these things were as a result of the revel direct revelation that he got from Christ. When people were saying all sorts of things in the church in Thessalonica about um, maybe rapture had happened, or maybe those that died will eventually miss out on the rapture that they were all supposed to be looking forward to, he wrote to them and said, this is what the Lord has said to me. This is the revelation I got from God about this. Uh, when these same Corinthians in his other letter to them that we first of all studied, first Corinthians, he would correct them when they were misusing and abusing the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. But again, he would say, I'm saying this to you according to what I got directly from Jesus. You see that we read that every time we're sharing, um, partaking in the Holy Communion here in this church just to remind us, this is not cunningly devised fables. They are literally speaking hot and fresh revelations from God. So God honored Paul by giving him very many visions and very many revelations. And he, he, he understood these deep mysteries of God. But that wasn't all. Many other people, of course, also had revelations. But there was one particular experience that Paul had not spoken about up until this moment. Um, that he was writing this epistle. And that thing happened 14 years ago. Imagine having such an ecstatic experience that could have, that could have made you write a bestseller, especially in a context where people just want to hear anything sensational. And that's still our day. In any case, people are still always drawn to whatever is, is ecstatic and sensational. And there are these signs and these things happening here and there that could easily draw the attention away from Christ, but to the man, whoever the man is. Um, and so God, God honored him by taking him to heaven and then sending him back to the heart again. I've mentioned how that him speaking and saying, I know someone who ascended or someone I'm acquainted with is just more or less a literary device that was common as of the day, but he, he adopted that approach because, again, he was trying to be humble, <laughs> even in his post. <clears throat> and we should mention in passing, before we double-click on the major points from there, that one of the things Paul is saying here is about the doctrine of heaven, the fact that heaven is real. Heaven is not some, some 
we don't even know what will be there. I mean, for him to repeat, I don't know how many of you noticed that in the passage we just read, twice he used the phrase about, I don't know whether this man was in the body or out of the body. In other words, whatever he experienced in paradise, it felt so real that it could have well as happened in one street in Liverpool, except that this is in the very presence of God. So it was like, I don't know whether I was still in my body. I don't know whether I was taken out of this body, but whatever it is that I heard, oh my, my, it was things that couldn't be uttered, but the experience was ever so tangible. And so if there is anyone here that still have images of heaven that looks so foggy and you're just thinking we'll sit on some clouds and, and be floating around and, and, and playing the harp or whatever instruments you can play and God help you, you cannot play any instruments. We just sit on harp singing, holy, holy, holy for all eternity. <laughs> Everyone is going to be more exciting than that. Nothing less real than what you have experienced there, except that it is infinitely more real um, in every bright and beautiful color there is. Pastor, go on, sir. I can see you. Under. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, there are two things I want to, before we move on, that I like yes, the two things that, that, that just, but it just, came out to me, which I which you mentioned, which I want to mention also, which is number one. Uh, you said the sensationalism, we still have it in our current day. So, so it means that we have religious sensationalism. So now the question then is this, how do we sense it? How do we avoid it? And can we talk more about, about it? Because if you if you go, you only need to go on, on, on uh, on YouTube, you will see loads of videos. You know, you also mentioned that people would well, have even written a book about it, the bestseller about it. Absolutely. But he chose not to, so that it doesn't distract people from the main thing, which is Jesus, so that people mm -hmm. are not distracted. Because even Jesus Christ said that, he said it is, it is adulterous and wicked generation that seek after those things. Because mm -hmm. that thing does not actually convert them. What it does is that, that's why we have so many of them following Jesus when he performs those, those miracles. Uh, it doesn't ch actually change them. They just, they, if that's the only thing that brought them to Christ, they, that is that thing that will sustain them. So how can we identify it in the current age that we are and how can we avoid it? Because it's still privilege. I even you go on YouTube, hear people that said uh, they, di they died, they almost died three days. They saw this and just asked them to come back to that and say one geo that that geo is not doing well, that geo is going to hell. This is so many, so many things that is unbiblical. And we have a lot. I think one came out, one, one was recently, I don't know if it's true or not. The one that people are calling Mommy and all of the, all those things. You know, things like that keep coming up and they are religious yeah. sensationalism. Like somebody that said, uh, one of the ones that came recently said that she she, she came before as a man and uh, uh, so she was with the queen of the coast and they did a lot of things, they wrote the Bible. They just saw so many unbelievable and I mean, people still follow it. Absolutely. So that's the reason why I think it's one area that we can it really, it really just with the touch light on mm -hmm. religious sensationalism. That somebody said a dream and he went somewhere and he saw three AJ and it looks real. Does it make it? Because from the what we are seeing from what brother, the way Brother Paul handled it, he took all the attention away. 
That's right. To the extent that even now we are still guessing, is he brother Paul? The only way mm-hmm. we know was because of all the things he has written for us. That's how we know. He took everything away so that at times people would say, wow. So somebody went to uh, paradise and came back. Wow. So that, that attention has been shifted and has been put on the right thing, which is Jesus Christ. So that is uh, the question I wanted to say, sir. Any, any contribution from the floor? I think Pastor has helped us shape it well in the 2009 direction. Sister Anna? I don't have a contribution, but just a con- um, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer to the question. But remember that there was a time I and Timisa and Antonio were discussing about this mommy geo. And, and we concluded that sometimes that sometimes most of us think the gospel is too simple and too familiar that ah, we've been hearing it over and over and over. So that, so therefore we seek after something extra, mm. something more tantalizing that would spark us up. And that is where why those people are there. And, and we kind of agree that we actually need those, those momijios in this our lifetime. Because until people have reached their end, they don't turn back to God, especially people that are born in the faith. Like if you've been going to church 52 um, Sundays every year, you don't really get to see the worth until you've gone. I don't, I'm not sure if this is correct theologically, but sometimes we have to allow our youth, let them experience what they want to experience. Let them, we'll give them simple gospel, let them see what they want to see, but they would always remember that the training they've been given, like what the Bible say, finally, it says, train up a child in the way that it should go so that when it's old, it would not depart from it. It didn't say forcefully put it in his head. Just you do the, just you be the coach, live the life. And yeah. even if it goes to the west or far end of the earth, the thing would be in his head and one day he would come to himself and realize that. So I just thought to put that because we had the discussion. <laughs> Thank you. It's Taife. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, the word dwelling, like when you dwell on things too much, mm. with time, that's the point I was trying to make earlier. With time, you don't know when you start to act it out. Mm. Those things just naturally influence what you're doing or um, your judgment on things naturally so for me is to guard your heart know what you're listening to part-time we might say that okay social media and everything I try to sieve them out (laughs) try to see okay do I want to listen to this and there are some times that you also would as sister said you have to listen to it so that you know what is going on out there so that you're able to um defend what you know, what you believe in, so that when someone else asks you, you're able to say, okay, I've listened to what you're listening to, but I have been able to pull my judgment this way based on what I believe in, based on what the Holy Spirit has helped me to analyze it as. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well done. Mr. Lioness. Um, yes, um, there are a lot of them on, on, on YouTube, to be honest with you. And I think one of, um, I, had, I had made up my mind that those are the things that I don't want to, I, I, I'm not going to listen to them. And the reason is because, I'm not sure maybe it was a sermon that I listened to or um, 
something that you know just made me realize that no that is not what you need mm. um and again there's this scripture that is coming into my heart about thomas you know when jesus rose up mm. and he said he's not going to believe jesus said blessed are those ones who did not see and yet believe mm-hmm. so our faith is not based on one dream that somebody yeah. yes people may dream and um, people may die and go to heaven and they are seeing visions and this and that if god if your father who is in heaven mm-hmm. has not chosen to show you that then he knows how to speak with you you believe in him anyway so um i think to be honest with you because it's, it's, it's just so much on, 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 on that YouTube, whatever, where people are just saying all manner of rubbish. And some are genuine. But again, when the whole point of it is away from Jesus Christ, for me, that's the end of it. In fact, by the, at the beginning, when I see that Christ is not represented there, I'll just cut it off. That's it. Thank no you. More. That's a helpful helpful tip um that's under the good evening everyone good evening so far for the responses i i actually want to tell the part that allowness have made because sometimes sometimes when you begin to look at some things or when you begin to listen to some things, they begin to affect you one way or the other, or lure you into, oh, let me just see the mess. Let me just see the mess. And before you know it, if the person is not a strong believer, you will slide away, and you will not be able to recover the person. The person may not be able to recover back. So indeed, all that we needed contained mm. in the scripture, in this Bible, any other thing is not relevant. Mm-hmm. If you are seeking revelation from God and the revelation is outside what God has given us in the Bible, forget about it. It's not from God because devil too can bring revelation. Yes. Devil can, can make you to want to believe what you are not supposed to believe in. Mm. And that is why we just need to be careful. God knows the reason why he said in Revelation that anyone that added a word to the he, he content of the Bible, that his sorrow will be added to and his punishment. And anybody that removed from it, his portion will be removed from a, a tree of life. So if we can abide, live, according to what God has given us in the, in, in, in the Bible. That is enough. Bible says, uh, uh, they look unto him, their faces were lighting and they were not put to shame. So when we look only to God, we will not be put to shame. We can, the devil can bring diversion in any way. But my prayer is just that God will help us to be able to discern and know when to move back. Thank you. Amen. Thank you very much. In 10, 20, 30 seconds. I just have a follow-on question, sorry. Okay. You know how we mentioned how that if it's Christocentric, then we mm-hmm. follow it. How mm-hmm. about the false teachers that also preaches that they also preach Christ? Say for mm-hmm. example, and, and 
I'm asking pastors now and everybody. And also comparing that to the verse in Philippians where Paul said, whether you preach Christ um, out of envy or rivalry or out of selfish ambition, or whether you want to stay up trouble, but that important thing is Christ is preached. How then do we balance all this? Because to preach Christ is not a problem. For, for a YouTube video could talk about Jesus all the way they want to talk about Jesus. But what if they're not being led by God? Are we still going to, how do we balance that? Thank you, Sas. Thank you. And I did go very quickly. Yeah. Thank you, Sister Anu, for that question. Uh, Jesus himself said that whoever is not against us is for us. That is certain. However, we need the Holy Spirit. That is where the work of the Holy Spirit is required. Because the, the, the wolf can come to you in sheep clothing. And don't, if you're not very careful, you will think that, oh, it's sheep, it's sheep. His intention is to devour, to destroy those sheep. So the intention of the enemy by coming in those diverse means is to destroy what you have. Don't treasures God put in you. Or those, those destiny that God places in your hand. The plan of the enemy, if devil come to you and appear like a devil, know that it's devil, you run away. Or you, but when he comes to you, just like a, a, the snake came suddenly to Eve, he, 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 you will not know that the end aim is to destroy. So mm. devil will always come in a way that it will look as if yes, it is it, it is the spirit of God that is speaking. For, look at when devil went to Jesus after he had fasted forty days and forty nine. Devil came to Jesus, quoting the scripture. Mm. Jesus need to discern and know that this is not God. This is the devil hiding behind the world of God. Quiet answer. I just pray the Lord will help us. Thank Amen. you. Thank you very much. Pastor Mrs. I'm happy to see your hand up. <laughs> You're muted. Thank you so much. I just want to say, Sister, what God said in the Bible says, it says, by their fruit, who is the servant of God, who is from God, preaches, but by their fruit, see, their character, their behavior, it will surely, it will surely come out. It's, it matters of time, but by their fruit, because what they will be desiring, what they will be saying at the end, it will be like material things, something fleshable. But when we know as children of God that the Bible says, by their fruit, you shall know them. Thank mm. you. Thank you very much, Ma. Um, I know that Pastor would have one or two thoughts to add. Um, just quickly say one or two things as well. Okay. So, oh, all right. Go on, sir. Go on, sir. Yes, yes sir. Uh, no, you, you, I'll come back to you in a minute. Okay. Okay. To the issue of... Um, you know, people having revelations about everyone and saying all sorts of things. And 
as we we're saying it, that was when this scripture came to mind, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I won't get into the full parable. In fact, some scholars will say it's not a parable because unlike every other parable, Jesus specifically mentioned names as he wouldn't usually do in parables. But whether it is a real story or a parable, Jesus said that it got to a point in that story after this rich man that was prosperous on this side of eternity died and find himself in hell. And the poor beggar that was always at his gate also died, but find himself in the bosom of Abraham. And now the man is saying in, in hell, shouting unto Abraham that Abraham, let him come and give me water, blah, blah, blah. Again, that wasn't going to happen because there's a great distance between them that can be crossed. But then he now said, okay, please, I have five brothers still on earth. Help me send Lazarus to go to them so that Lazarus can go and warn them that if you don't accept the gospel now, this is where you will end up in, in, in Elphi. And Bible says from verse Luke 16, from verse 29. But Abraham said in response to him, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, ah, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Father Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Not to talk of the fact that it was Jesus himself that was saying these words. Uh, and that's, that's the point. The gospel is not, uh, the mandate that we have is not that about someone that came from a revelation and, and had some come and tell us what we should do. It's, it's pure and simple, First uh, Corinthians 15, which we've drummed again and again and again and again into us in this, in this plat on this platform, in this church. The gospel is simple. Christ came, he died, resurrected, according to the scriptures. You will find according to the scriptures again and again in those few verses from 3 to verse 5 of First Corinthians chapter, chapter 15. And he was, he ascended to heaven, according to, he was seen by people, he was, at the point in time, 500 people saw him. And then he even appeared to me, Paul said. It's all about him. Anything that takes away from that, and of course, if you then go on in the remaining part of that chapter, you see what he has come to do. You see what he, the price he has paid and the implications of that price as far what our life will look like in glory and things like that. So basically, I think my thoughts would be along the lines of take, don't contract out your spiritual growth to anybody. Take personal, intentional efforts to want to develop yourself. One of the foundational things they taught us when we gave our life to Christ back then in the university setting is quiet time and, you know, all these basic disciplines and routines that are supposed to nurture you. And the, 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 the point is, if you get the truth so, so well seated in your heart, when something contrary to it comes, you know you it's there's something in you that has configured your mind and your heart to be sensitive to the truth. There is no special thing that you need to do. If something strange is coming, and thank God for the Holy Spirit in you, thank God for the gift of discernment, thank God for all that God has put in place. I mean, personally, there are people that I know that it's not like everything they say is bad or is wrong, but I personally just have a check in my spirit from continuing to listen to them because I used to listen to them, but I felt at some point, I don't want to give my ear time wholeheartedly to this person, not because they don't preach the truth. The gospel is the gospel, and people would preach the gospel for all sorts of reasons. You can't detect the motive necessarily from just listening to someone or five minutes excerpt on Facebook or YouTube. 
but the motive is between them and God. Mm. If the gospel, if it is the gospel, hold on to it. If it is about Christ, if it's or if it glorifies God, hold on to it. You need it, it can equip you. Even if the person that is dishing it out is full of all sorts of ulterior motives that are unknown to you. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter one. They, it's not like those people are preaching anything wrong, but Paul is like, the gospel they are preaching, he knows that they are doing it in a way as to hurt him, as to make him feel jealous. Mm. But he is not even looking at that. He's looking at the fact that ah, they are preaching. People are repenting. People are coming to Christ. Ah, to God be the glory. For whatever reason that they might be doing that. But for us as Christians, as believers here, let's, let's be intentional, personally, about our spiritual growth. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. And the pastor to wrap up on that before we... Uh, I think you, you already did justice to that, pastor. Thank you very much, sir. Thank that you, sir. Well wrapped up. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Um, I, I hope we'll finish up this first point at least and see what time we, we have left and, and see how we can go. So, Paul, again, I just want to... Can I say something, Pastor? Ah, yes, I may. Based on what Anu said and the last statement you make now, does that actually balance exactly like what Anu asked, what Paul was referring there? So far as Christ is, so far as Christ is being preached, yeah. and people repented, it is fine. It, because what Anu actually asks is. Even if those people are not preaching exactly the same thing, but people are being repented, does what you said balance it exactly? That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> okay. Sister, I know it was your question answered. Let's start from there. It was answered, but I can't explain how it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the bottom line sir, is that it is... Nobody can come to God unless the spirit is self-drawing. Yeah. Yeah. It is not, it's eventually it is God that draws those people. And it might, it might use unconventional means that we are not used to. That's what made God God. So the that is as about that setting, that's what Brother Paul is saying. They, 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 sometimes some people might come with uh, you know, some the motive may be may may not be Christocentric may be bad, but at the end of the day, God have a way of using everything, all things to work together for good, for his glory. I think that's what Brother Paul was saying that even though you might, that is exactly the same way he says that you want to crucify you, okay, go ahead, crucify him, but if I be lifted up, that is when I would throw amen to myself. Yes, yes. So if we just bring the best out of it. So yeah. that is, that's the reality. Thank you very much, sir. So I think that ties up that point. Um, again, uh, the term third heaven and paradise, whatever translations you are using, you probably notice those two words and you might be wondering how many heavens are there? Um, just to clarify that uh, simply, when the Bible speaks of heaven in that sense of third heaven, the idea is that the first heaven will be when you look up, when you get outside your house and you look up, what you are saying is the first heaven, basically just the sky, the atmosphere where the birds and the, and the jets and all of that fly. But beyond that, of course, then for those that will get into a spaceship and go outside of this atmosphere as we know it, you are going yet into another space up there that would then be called heaven in another sense. But that would be the planetary, where you have the planetary bodies and all that, the planets, the sun, 
that's another level. And then the third level will be where God himself dwells in his glory with all of the angelic hosts and all that. So when Paul is saying he ascends to the third heaven, that's the, that's the picture um, that we should, that the Bible language would engender for us to have. Uh, of course, men have gotten to the first two by science and lots of you know, technological breakthrough, but no one can get to the third without the help of God. We don't even know whether it's exactly like up, 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 up there or somewhere. But in any case, there is a place where God dwells, besides the fact that he lives in your heart and mind. Um, and at some point in, in, in time, when there will eventually be no more time, that reality would become what we call the new heavens and the new hearts. The, the old heavens and the old that will pass away. And all of us will be here together to dwell forevermore in his endless presence. And we must look forward to that excitedly. So still talking about the fact that God honored Paul um, from those first six verses. The interesting thing is, now imagine all of these things that we've said. This is, this is a classic experience. This is something that today, if someone else should have that experience, the next thing you are here, you are receiving a broadcast on WhatsApp that you have to keep pressing read more and read more and read more because <laughs> the person wants to say everything that they saw. But here is someone that kept quiet about such an amazing experience for 14 years. And even when he's going to still mention it, he mentioned it in a way that we still don't even fully get the gist. And it's, it's, it's a classic pointer to the fact that Paul never sought to draw attention to himself. He never sought to draw attention to himself. And not only did God honor him by granting him all these visions and revelations and taking him to heaven, but he honored him further by permitting him to hear unspeakable words while he was in heaven. At least the people that are sharing and opening ministries based on their revelation, they are coming back to tell us what they saw. <laughs> Paul saw some things that it goes beyond the level of what can even be shared. It goes beyond the level of what can be uttered amongst men. That's another dimension of honor that, I mean, there are not so many people in the scriptures that you can say that of. You can say that of Daniel. You can say that of John in Daniel 12, 8 to 9. Daniel said, although I heard, I did not understand. Then I said, my Lord, and this is again, revelations about the end time. I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For these words are closed up and they are sealed till the time of the end. In other words, you can't even fathom it. This aspect is coded and it's waiting for its own time to find expression. The John the Beloved also caught a bit of that in his revelation, which he documents in what we call the book of Revelation. It says in chapter 10, verse four, now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. There are some things that just can't be uttered within the time dispensation that we are in. And Paul was privileged to hear such things. Uh, the question then becomes, how many of such experiences can these Judaizers relate? None. Even Moses in all of the respect and awe that the Jews have for him, the Bible makes it clear that he keeps meeting the Lord on mountain tops. He goes to the mountain, he removes his veil, he talks with God and all that. But Paul had this honored privilege of being caught up to the very presence of the Father. It's, it's just amazing and beyond words. And yet, even now that we are describing it, we are not describing it in a way that, I mean, at least in church history, that has not gone down to be what Paul is known for. 
when they are asking you about Paul, you don't think of a man that had a revelation that was taken into the third heavens or whatever. We know him as that man that wrote all these epistles. We know him as that man that planted all these very many churches. We know him as that man that God used in very miraculous ways to spread the gospel more than all the other apostles because of God's grace that is at work in his life. And that's all that he wants people to know. That's the legacy he wants, what Christ can do in the life of an ordinary person. Um, so while we are not going to heaven until we die or until our Lord returns, we should also be encouraged anyways that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, even right now. Don't let all this revelation thing intimidate you. and feel like, ah, I wish I can get to that level where I can be caught up and see the fact is God is right now as we are talking, God is in your heart. Is resident in you and you are seated together with Christ, not later in the future. Seated is past tense. Right now, it's an, it's an accomplished reality. It's a done deal. And who let us know that, Apostle Paul? We have a position right now that is a position of authority and victory that is far above all principalities and powers. Again, who let us know that, Apostle Paul? <laughs> By the grace of God. Uh, John would write and say that we share God's glory even right now. Jesus shared his glory with his beloved. And one day we shall enter into that endless presence and behold the glory of Christ forever, forever, and forevermore. Because like we've said, such an honor as this would have made most people very proud. But instead of keeping quiet for 14 years, they would have immediately told the world and become famous with lots of followers on Instagram, social media, and Facebook, and all of that. But Paul did not become proud. And you might want to ask, how could Paul have experienced such a great experience and still remain humble, which leads us to the second experience that God brought to his life. And that's the fact that God humbled him. The same God who honored him, humbled him. Um, it's just two verses that we're going to read for that. Let me see if we can get through that part and then we'll pick up from the third point next week. Second verse 12, verse 7 to 8. To keep me grounded, now this is from the voice translation, to keep me grounded and to stop me from becoming too high and mighty due to the extraordinary character of these revelations, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a nagging nuisance of Satan, a messenger to plague me. I begged the Lord, not once, not twice, like Jesus in the garden, three times to liberate me from its anguish. And then God said something that we're going to see next week. Um, I'm looking at the time. Let's, let's get on with this and then we'll wrap up on this, on this point. Or is there any question? Let me pause there first and see maybe there are any questions we might just stop on that and take to uh, I think if we go on a finish this one so that uh, the question will not stop us from finishing this, then we're now. All right. Yes, that's the Okay, sir. So if we have only blessings <clears throat> in reality, just think of it. If we have only blessings in life, we can become proud. And so, one of the ways that God designed reality for us on this side of reality, in this falling world, thanks or no thanks to Adam and Eve is that it also permits us to have burdens as well. So we don't only expect blessings from him, we expect burdens as well. But these burdens, in fact, are blessings, as we're going to see, of course, in the case of Paul. So Paul's great experience in heaven is something that could have ruined his ministry on earth, to be candid. 
there are many of the ministries we have alluded to that five years from now, 10 years from now, if God tarries, they won't be existing because the very nature of it are self-destroyed. Self there are many ministries that have risen up 20 years ago with these same kind of ideologies and revelations and even probably written books that had been bestsellers, but where are day to day? Um, so it's, it's, it is in the goodness of God that God permitted Satan to use the very language that Paul himself used to buffet Paul. This is not buffet as in Taipan restaurants. This is buffet as in to beat, to box, to, to fight, to resist. Satan to buffet Paul in order to keep him from becoming proud. Now, of course, to read that one can make the mistake of generalizing then that whenever you see a believer suffering, it is because God is trying to keep them up. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, there are very many reasons why people can get afflicted. I would have thrown it as a question, but because of time, I would just so that we can finish this section, I'll just go on to answer the question myself. The question would have been, why do believers sometimes suffer or get afflicted? And that Sunday I did go. Very Hallelujah. I actually wanted to create uh, with statement that Bura Paul mentioned that uh, because of that revelation that God and Satan referred in, which means that that particular thing that was done to him was done during the revelation as a result of what he saw. Now, let's reflect back to Genesis. When God us about Jacob's angel, before he went into that revelation, because it's a revelation, you understand, mm -hmm. he had left his family somewhere and he went to have prayer. So it's also a revelation. And by the time he finished the revelation, he came back, he came out of the revelation and people realized he could not work well again because it, his tights was uh, uh, disjointed as a result of that revelation. I just mm. want us to link it together with uh, what I, I, I brought forth to have experienced because mm. it means that it is something that people, uh, that, that Paul can see physically in his own, in his own body, even though people outside may not see, but I felt it is what Paul himself could see in his life. Praise the Lord. That's all I want yes. to say. Thank That's, you very much, sir. That's, thank you very much, sir. I've never had a part of the intervention. That's good. That's a good insight. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice way to, nice angle to look at it from. Look at it, yeah. Asking that why do believers sometimes suffer? Of course, one of that could simply be because we are human. Um, things happen as we grow in life. Um, the older you get, uh, your body is just naturally prone to certain things. Is it every believer that experienced that? No. Could you enjoy God's grace in a way that even as you grow old, you continue to grow strong? Absolutely. But is that a reality for every believer? Maybe it's up for grabs for everybody, but we do know in, in real context that that's not the case for everyone. Um, of course, again, the fact that you are human means you have relatives, you have friends, you have parents, you have siblings, and some of these people, by virtue of their choices and all that, can bring serious suffering to your life, which is, in this case, even beyond your own control. 
because of how they have chosen to live their lives and the direct implications of that on yours. So that's that's one, one dimension. Another is the fact that some suffer simply because they are foolish and disobedient to the Lord. A classic example is David. Many of the things that happened as a in, in the reign of David is a direct consequence of some of the mistakes he made, in spite of the fact that this was the man after God's own heart, by God's own testimony. Um, I, I was reading to us the other day, Psalm 32, verse 8, and then the next verse. 32, verse 8 says that uh, the Lord will instruct us in the way to go. He will guide us with our highs, with his highs. But then it says in the next verse, so don't be stubborn. Otherwise, it might sometimes need to drag you like a mole that you need to use, put something in the beats in their mouth and use that to pull them into reality. Again, does, that, does God do that to everyone? Not necessarily. He deals with us individually and according to all that he knows about our past, our present, our future, which is not the same because he made us all for specific purposes, but ultimately to bring him the most glory. And thirdly, suffering could also be used as a tool for building godly character in the believer. And again, this is something that Paul himself writes extensively about, for instance, in Romans chapter five. So Paul's thorn in the flesh, which is something we don't even know, uh, was given to him to keep him from sinning in the manner of speaking. And in this case, the sin of pride, which leads to a multitude of temptations to sin. We know that God is intensely against the sin of pride. Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's Paul that even wrote that. But how that, how hard was that for the experience and testimony of the life of Paul? There have been lots of speculation as to what Paul's turn in the flesh could be. Some people say it's probably a problem with his eyes because in his letters to the Galatians, he was saying that, I know that you love me so much, you could have given me your eyeballs as though something was wrong with his own eyes. We don't know, it might be, it might not be. It could have been a physical disability, it could have been a serious illness, it could have been a bad habit that he just couldn't overcome in and of himself. If you read Romans 7, I won't get into that, but towards the end of that, where he was saying that the things that I want to do, I don't do. The ones I don't want to do, I find myself doing and things like that. There have been lots of debates within theological circles as to was Paul describing himself before he became born again or was that a description after he had become born again and i believe it's after he had become born again but necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that was the stone in the flesh that is a reality for all of us if you have been sincere the fact that you are a christian doesn't you would have found yourself doing things you said you didn't want to do and not doing the things that <coughs> you really wanted to do um some people believe it's all these false teachers that continue to undermine his ministry maybe maybe not but i think it's a good thing that we don't know mm. because again it gives us the opportunity to then apply what he's saying to whatever our own sufferings can be. Because he had mentioned whatever suffering it is, you might think that whatever thing Paul was saying about his suffering applies only to that kind of suffering. But we, we have myriad dimensions of sufferings and the principles that we got from how he handled is can also be transmitted or translated to how we handle ours. And while we don't fully understand the full dynamics of evil or all the purposes that God had in mind whenever he permits evil and Bible loses that language sometimes we do know that God controls everything even evil he controls it and can use it for his own glory that's the story of Joseph that's the story or the point Paul was making in Romans 8 at the very fulcrum of it for we know that he works all things together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose so Satan cannot work against the believer without the permission of God. That's a given. 
Paul himself is one of those that will teach us expressly about spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter six, put on the whole armor of God. Um, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He was writing that to the Corinthians, but against principalities and powers and rulers of high places and all that. So he, he understood more, perhaps more than any other apostle about the fact that we need to wage war against the oppressions of the devil. You can't just allow or expose your life to anything or see things going and just start thinking, maybe this is what God wants for me. No, you fight it. You take it up spiritually in the place of prayer as he himself actually also, also did. Um, but everything that the enemy did to Paul in this case, and of course you could apply the same into, to Job in the Old Testament, they were all permitted by the will of God. Satan was permitted to buffet him, to beat him, to strike him. And the, the way it was written in the Greek indicates that it's something that keeps on going. It's not something that happened once and stopped. It's an ongoing struggle for him, perhaps even as, as that when he was still writing this very letter. And when you think of Paul and think of all the things that we now said Paul has done, and remember that he was doing it with this stone in his flesh, whatever that thing is. I mean, it's just, it's outstanding. It makes us see that we are inexcusable. And we're going to see the secrets that make him able to do that next week. And, and so he prayed again and again that the affliction might be removed uh, from him. I think I'll pause there because of our time and we'll continue from possible ways to respond to suffering um, as believers. But to wrap it up in a nutshell, I think it's a good point to, to, to pause tonight is to move, make old in, in, in good tension, that balance of blessings and burdens. That's actually where every believer lives. There is no one that doesn't have something in his life part-time that you will not, you would desire if only that thing is not there, or maybe something that you want to be in your life that is not yet there. Mm. On higher ground, by God's grace, as God has given us his word. But the fact is there is still higher grounds than the higher ground you are on now. We will always have something to aspire onto. And that's, that's fine. But while you are yet to be where you are, can you lean in to understand what's going on where you are? what God is doing in your now, what is God saying about the current level you are in, the current circumstance you are in, the current situation you're in, that you're talking to him about. What is he saying back to you? What are the instructions he's giving you? What are the promises that is giving you to hold you on and keep you going in that? And we'll get more into all of those dynamics um, next week. But that's, that's a a point to, to ponder, and that's where I would want to pause. We're just five minutes away from uh, our prayer time for today. The Lord bless his word in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.